0: We are right on time and so are you. Thanks for joining us right away to call in, join the show. We had a bunch of calls yesterday at the time. It was fantastic. Something irking you at work. Maybe you've been told uh, you're getting a pay deduction or uh, you you can't take your holidays when you want to. You've been told you're going to get laid off or... You don't qualify for severance because you're a contractor, blah, blah. It could be a million other things, or something you've always wondered about your work life because it's where we spend most of our hours and most of our days. So feel free to call us. Chris Justice, our pal, is here from San Fierro Tamarkin, LLP, uh, and, of course, employment lawyer. So reach out We're live here on air now. Talk to us. And beyond that, you can always reach Chris and his uh, incredibly capable team, After Hours. That's outside the show, I mean. That is 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. The first topic we'll uh, tackle tonight, key things to look out for in your contract. A hugely important piece of paper you will probably sign at some time in your work life. Maybe not. If you haven't, you're good. But if you have to, you'll want to catch the uh, next half hour on this show for sure and your phone calls. But first, Chris, we always start off the case of the day, brother. What do you got cooking?
1: Yeah, so I was thinking I would talk about some recent news where the federal government had placed a ban on TikTok for all work devices, uh, which was actually followed by bans initiated by provinces throughout the country, and it kind of brought a question to mind, which is, you know, if the government's doing this regarding TikTok, can your own employer um, do the same thing Mm -hmm. or in some way control which apps or programs you might use on a phone, for example? Um, the, the initially there were concerns about the data collection methods, and that sort of I guess led to this ban. But yeah, a lot of people have just otherwise been coming to me asking me sort of what level of control can my employer have on say a cell phone or a laptop or a tablet. Right. And I know this is a topic that's come up in the past before, and I figured it would be a good opportunity to kind of remind employees um, what their rights are, or at least what's possible from the employer's perspective. Um, And so that is to say that if you are an employee and you have a company-owned device, um, such as as I said before, a computer, tablet, phone, it is very likely actually that your employer can control which applications you're allowed to use on it or which programs. And this applies to employees if you're working in Ontario, Alberta, BC, um, full-time, part-time, hourly, doesn't matter. Um, but there is uh, a very high likelihood that your employer will be able to have some level of control, especially when it comes to company-owned devices right. over apps such as TikTok or other social media programs.
0: So, what about? I mean, and if you really push hard, or if they push hard, Chris, and say, you know, your own person—if you—if you have a company device, cell phone, whatever—I see that totally being, you know, their call. But if it's your own personal device, and they say you can't have that, or can they say you can't use it in the workplace? I don't know how they police that but how does that uh, how does that flush out
1: yeah I think with respect to your own devices again computers tablets phone um, the amount of control that your company is going to have over your usage of those things may actually come down to your employment contract I know you mentioned off the top of the show things to look out for in contracts and this is uh, definitely one of them uh, in terms of whether or not there's, say, a social media policy in the contract or some sort of uh, clause or provision contained in there that speaks to the level of control. So I think if you have your own device, but you've also got a contract that speaks to the company um, being able to control some, some applications, there may be a situation where, for instance, you have to remove certain apps uh, for the duration of your work shift and then reinstall them potentially later on. Um, so it's it's definitely an ever-evolving area of the law, and, you know, as technology grows, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of these issues kind of pop up and sort of what level of control there is, especially when it comes to privacy issues or potential privacy yeah. issues, too.
0: And again, the topic for uh, and, this um, evening. I, Sorry, man, go ahead. we got a bit of a delay. What, uh, what else you got cooking? Sorry. No,
1: yeah, no worries. I was just going to say that Um, You know, in these circumstances, employers may actually present you with a new contract to sign that has some added language in there, such as social media policies. And people, um, as always, I say this, need to know that uh, you should definitely speak with a lawyer before you review or sign off on any new contract, especially if they try to slide in um, a special clause that might, um, you know, impose an obligation on you to remove apps uh, during work hours.
0: And uh, we will we will move on to uh, to Scott, who's chiming in early. Hey, Scott, uh, thanks for joining us. How are you, pal? Not bad. Good evening, guys. I'm just curious, uh, sir. Uh, I, with employment, uh, and you're employed with a contractor, right? And uh, my, right. my of so my private phone number given out and distributed to uh, the company, and my number being uh, used as a dispatch number to go to work and all that, isn't that an invasion of privacy? Shouldn't I be given a company phone?
1: yeah it's it's a good question. I think that more and more, for example, as people are even working from home, they're having to use their own personal phones to contact clients' customers. And I think that it's therefore you know very important to establish where the line needs to be drawn. Um, if there is a particular, use or need to maybe give out your your personal number. There are certainly circumstances where that can happen. But at the same time, as you've mentioned, there are also situations where um, maybe it goes too far and you're getting harassed by you know, various people that, you know, may or may not be work related and it's all coming through your personal phone. So I think it's a discussion that people need to have with their employer to sort of draw the line as far as, you know, whether, as you say, they're prepared to give you a company phone to use, um, or if not, whether some balance can be reached when it comes to, you know, somebody actually using their personal phone, but for work related
0: reasons. Okay. No, cause I was wondering, cause that's an invasion of privacy and, uh, when my number is being distributed to everybody without my consent, it goes way beyond too far for business use.
1: Yeah, no, that's definitely a conversation I think you need to have with your employer if they are distributing your phone number without having discussed first. Um, But I will say that there are still going to be circumstances where companies can actually monitor your mobile devices, they can monitor your laptops. um, Even though one may think it's it's an invasion of privacy, so long as the employer does so in the context of the working relationship and doesn't sort of overstep its bounds uh, there's a good chance that they may be able to have some level of control over the phone but in your particular case i think you need to have a discussion with the company especially if they're distributing your number to people without your consent you want to kind of run that through um, by them uh, with that issue and um, if there's still an issue then i think you definitely give us a call and we can take it from there
0: Thanks, Scotty. Appreciate the call. And if you want to reach out to Chris afterward for a further discussion, you always have that option. one 821 We'll take a short pause here the Employment Law Show. Hang on. We are back. Adder, thanks for uh, for hanging around for a moment. The uh, the calls come in this way. if any uh, employment law concerns, this is the show you want to voice them and ask your questions. Chris Justice is your guy. Sam Firu to LLP. That's where he comes from. Uh, of course, employment lawyer. And the uh, most positively reviewed uh, firm on Google, so you can check that out. And any time you want to reach out via phone, it's one 821 5900 You have the option of pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Amazing website full of uh, employment law knowledge for you to absorb and access to the severance calculator, which over 2 million of us, 2 million of us in this country have done so at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Getting on to our topic here in a moment. But first, Mark, thanks for standing by, pal. How are you tonight? good how are you good sir what's on your mind so my brother was with
1: a company for about 15 years uh he was a manager uh managed people uh he got lured away by uh another company uh promised him <clears> that they had worked for him for you know at least five years and he got let go within a year and just wondering if he's got any recourse with that company no severance uh, i think he got uh like a month wow okay uh, and uh so he's stuck now with nothing and uh uh, lost a career that he had, good stable job uh, in this company. Brought in a, a different manager to do his job, and um, basically said there was no more work. But there's still there's lots of work. So, just wondering what kind of recourse he has. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Mark. I think um, there's a very good chance your brother does have recourse. Um, What you're referring to when you were saying he was lured away from his old job potentially is is what's known as inducement. So there are oftentimes or in many cases situations where just like in your brother's case, you're with a company for a very long time. You don't necessarily think uh, at all about leaving that company Um, But then, um, you know, maybe further to some promises of greater pay, uh, you know, a bright future, a longstanding employment relationship, or at least in this case, five years, it seems like, Uh, you know, your brother then leaves an otherwise stable and secure job only to find himself without a job soon thereafter. And and as you say, the company sort of treats him, uh, it looks like, uh, as an employee with only a year or less of, of work or tenure rather than an employee with 15 or 16 years, if you combine the two periods of time together. So yeah. when there is inducement involved, um, there there is absolutely recourse. And in a lot of cases, in a lot of those cases where that happens, the individual, your brother in this case, would be not seen as somebody with just a year of severance, but rather with upwards of 16 years. And so this company that, you know, potentially induced him to leave and then let him go shortly thereafter may in fact be on the hook for, um, you know, someone who has severance rights that, that fit a 15 or 16 wow. year tenure, which depending on how old your brother is and what position your brother had um, could be upwards of two years of severance. So when you say that this new company only offered a month or provide him with a month, Um, I mean, assuming he hasn't signed any full and final release that might, you know, uh, limit his rights, I would absolutely tell your brother to get in touch with us. Um, You know, we'll have an idea of the exact types of questions to ask him and, and sort of take him through that whole process and let him know exactly what his recourse is. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it, pal. And again, just to reiterate that number to reach out and carry on, which you, of course, are going to have that phone call for sure. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Still lots of time here. Like Mark, get some quick answers from, uh, from Chris. Okay. Key things to look out for in your contract. Number one, job description and duties list. Break that down for me, pal.
1: Yeah, it's just it's so often that I find when I talk to individuals, they get into a situation where they start a job and then over the years their job morphs. And, you know, some things get taken off of their plate, some things get added on their plate, and it just gets to a point where there's no defined idea as to what it is they're doing day to day because things change or have changed so often. And when that happens and without any clear idea of what your job description or duties entail, it generally is gonna allow the employer to um, be a bit more flexible in in terms of the type of work it gives to you. And and in fact, it may result in the employer giving work to you that you think is is a big departure or change from what you had signed up with initially. But because there's no clearly defined job description or duty list, It becomes very hard for you as an employee to sort of establish what your duties were and and to the extent they changed how they did but if you've got a contract with a very clear and defined job description then there isn't going to be as much risk in terms of figuring out you know whether or not your employer does impose a big change on the terms of your employment or not Um, and sort of related to this is Uh, In in a lot of contracts, I'll find that there's language around your employer having the ability to actually change the nature of your job or the duties that you're responsible for. And people, I think, need to be on the lookout for language like this because it can actually give the company the ability to change your job in the future if it wants to. So you want to, again, pay very close attention to this section of a contract or if there isn't a job description included in your contract, you want to try and ask your employer to see if one can be implemented
0: number two termination and layoff clauses super important again
1: yeah and and pretty much forever will be super important Uh, of course uh, termination clauses are generally designed at limiting your rights upon termination so you know in in the example of uh, the previous caller mark if you're an employee who's been with a company for a year Uh, The termination clause in your contract may say that you're only entitled to a week or two of severance at most, but in the absence of there being a termination clause, the same employee with a year or so of service could get three, four, five, six months of severance. So again, it's another section of a contract you're going to want to pay close attention to, and that applies also to temporary layoffs or layoffs in general. A lot of people uh, believe that employers actually have a freestanding right or ability to lay somebody off so long as they call them back at a later date or within a certain period of time, right. when in most cases that's actually not true and can trigger construct a constructive dismissal just by placing somebody on a layoff without their consent. So yeah, these are definitely two big areas that contracts um, uh, focus on a lot and, and you know, reason for employees to be concerned and aware of them.
0: And you mentioned the word clause, in there. here's two big ones. Now, one of these, I think there's been some recent changes, but uh, non-solicitation and the non-compete as well, right?
1: Yeah, so as you say, there have been some changes, especially to the non-compete aspect. Um, until very recently, um, it was possible for employers to put in non-competition clauses, uh, which are generally aimed at uh, basically telling an employee once they leave the, the company or the employer that they can't compete with them in some way or work for maybe a direct competitor. And uh, so, like I say, until very recently, these clauses were potentially allowed, although still frowned upon in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, actually, non-compete clauses in Ontario have been banned. Um, so going forward you know employers are not going to have the ability to insert those clauses though for for contracts that have existed before the ban takes place there's still a potential argument that the clause might be upheld but non-competes in general are going to put a big restraint on somebody's ability to look for work and i think historically that's why courts haven't really liked them unless the employer can demonstrate that they're absolutely necessary but that still does also leave open the option of non-solicitation clauses Um, which can uh, speak to maybe somebody's ability to um, entice employees of the company to leave after they've exited. Um, But I also think that employees and people generally need to know that sometimes a clause that's called a non-solicitation clause in your contract, for example, actually operates more like a non-compete clause. Um, And so it's just another thing to be aware of and and certainly something that uh, a lawyer will have to review and sort of advise you on accordingly. Um, But those are two potentially significant clauses.
0: Now, the non-solicitation, unlike the non-compete, especially as of late, is actually enforceable. That one you want to pay attention to, yeah?
1: Yeah. like There are forms of non-solicitation clauses that are enforceable, uh, especially ones that don't limit somebody's ability to uh, earn a living after the end of the employment relationship. Um, But as I said, at the same time, a lot of these non-solicitation clauses are just non-compete clauses in disguise. And you want to be careful either way before signing a contract, even if you think the non-solicitation clauses is, is allowed, it, it may actually not for a number of reasons. And even if the company is going to have a hard time enforcing it, you still might have a potential headache where they believe they can enforce it. And, you know, it's just, uh, I think, a, a concern or a risk that you can eliminate if you kind of spot the issue early on.
0: Again, key things to look out for in that employment contract. The last one we'll cover for this is the bonus and incentive plans as well. Why is that?
1: Yeah, so generally speaking, I think when it comes to bonus or incentive-related plans, a lot of times the issue becomes how is it that I actually earn this bonus? You know, it's not always really clear... Um, what needs to be achieved in order for an employee to get, you know, this bonus or that bonus. So I think, you know, firstly, when it comes to bonus or incentive plans, there needs to be as much clarity as possible because um, far too often there are just simply no metrics to gauge the, someone's performance. There's, you know, sort of a throw a throwaway line that says, you know, ultimately it's up to the company's discretion and the company may try to use that, you know, to get themselves some leeway in, in maybe denying somebody a bonus they're otherwise owed. So I think transparency and clarity around these types of plans is very key. And there's also another main issue that often comes up where Maybe it is very clear that you're going to get X, Y, or Z bonus every year, but the bonus plan will say something along the lines of, uh, you know, in the event we terminate your employment, you know, if you're not actively employed on the day we typically pay the bonus out, you forfeit that bonus and you're not entitled to that bonus. And there have been scenarios where, you know, an employee has worked maybe, 95% or maybe the entire, you know, calendar or fiscal year, but -hmm. because they were let go a week or a month before the bonus itself was paid out, now they're being told by their employer that they're not entitled to that bonus when they essentially earned the bonus by working the full year or most of the year, let's say. So I think employees need to be aware that you know your bonus plan may say that you're not entitled to a bonus in a particular situation, or that you need to be actively employed by the company to get the bonus. But very often, these contracts or these bonus plan clauses don't have that effect, even if they're worded that way. So you don't want to assume you've forfeited it if you, if your bonus is a very big component of your compensation. Uh, I think it's just all the more reason before you just think you're dead to rights and you have no entitlement to that. Uh, again, you definitely want to get some legal advice because, as I say, in, in a lot of cases, even if the, the bonus plan says that, um, you're still as an employee owed that bonus
0: plus uh, chris isn't it it part of the uh, the truth of this whole thing is when you're let go depending on how long your severance i mean if it's over a year you'll, it'll probably become part of it anyway but if during your severance period that rolls into a time where you would normally yearly as a regular thing get that bonus while you're getting your severance does that not have to be one of the components rolled into your severance as well meaning that if you got a bonus every June and you've been let go, but your severance carries on till right. October, June's going to happen within your severance period. You should get that bonus, no?
1: Yeah. In, in most cases, you're absolutely right. You know, if, uh, like you say, someone's let go in January and they're entitled to a year's worth of notice and the bonus gets paid out midway through the year. Well, clearly that 12 months captures the, the payout date, which is only six months after you're let go. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely another uh, consideration employees need to be mindful of and, and employers for that matter, too, who might be thinking that um, they, they may not owe somebody a bonus. You know, if we kind of look on the flip side, employers are going to make sure that their bonus plans are as clear as possible. And sort of, you know, capture all the scenarios that these employers want to, because as it often does, it's coming down to the precise language that's used in these contracts. So that applies to bonuses, that can apply to non-solicitation clauses, termination clauses, uh, and layoff clauses, as I've mentioned.
0: Let me ask you this, you know, when a business is sold, we had a call about this last night with Alex, so who pays that severance when the buyer of a mm-hmm. business doesn't want to keep certain employees? How does that roll?
1: Yeah, so typically, then the seller of the business will be on the hook for the severance. Um, and that will depend on, you know whether or not there's a contract in place with the seller as far as what the employee may be looking forward to. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one scenario if you're not being hired on by the buyer of the business, um, you'll you'll typically look to the seller. Um, There's also another scenario where maybe the buyer of the business wants to give you a different contract before it takes you on as an employee, and that contract is very much different than what you had with the seller. That can also essentially trigger a termination um, and and allow the employee to go after the seller as well. Um, Those are the two main, I think, scenarios where an employee's rights as far as severance are going to be primarily with the seller, if not solely with the seller.
0: Again, something to look out for all the time when that business is sold, and uh, you know, if you have any discrepancy, you're not sure what's going on, you want to reach out to this show. As we're just about done for a Tuesday, thank you for your phone calls. Your emails can also be followed up by Chris and his team as well. They will surely do that. How do you send an email along? Anytime, not just now, help at employmentlawyer.ca. That phone number to reach out and have a uh, more of a personal lengthier conversation. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred, and of course, you can always uh, reach out at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and have free access to that severance calculator while you're there as well. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the Employment Law Show.